Welcome to the Lit Matters Podcast, a show whose journey is to discover the books that matter, the stories that we should all be reading. I'm your host, Chris Evans, and I've devoted decades in education examining this very topic. Each week, I'll be joined by a guest, fellow teachers, librarians, writers, and lovers of books from all walks of life who will advocate for a single transformative book, one that we should all be reading. Through this podcast, I hope to build a collective bookshelf of amazing stories, lit that matters. If you've ever asked yourself, what does a first century Roman emperor have in common with a USC professor of education? Well, then you found the right episode of Lit Matters. Today, we'll discover that very answer and much, much more. We are joined by Lori and Matt Jones. They are married high school English teachers, parents of teenagers, and co-host of the Teacher Saves World podcast. And they are just one of the coolest couples I know. So Lori, Matt, welcome to the show. Thanks, Chris. Hey, Chris. <laughs> this is so great catching up with you guys and, and, and listening to your podcast. I have to say, guys, in some ways, your, your podcast has inspired me. Um, you two are, are married English teachers. I certainly relate to that. My wife is an English teacher. And, and with all that we've been going through with COVID and, and, and learning to teach remotely and all the trauma and displacement from our students' lives, um, we just need something, some kind of answers for parents, teachers, for our students. And I had this idea sort of bopping around my brain of what to do. And unlike you guys, to go out and do you know 70 episodes of a podcast, I just sort of curled up in the fetal position and, and, <laughs> and, and ate chocolate. You know, <laughs> how am I going to get through COVID? I'm going to mutter away. Why won't it go away? Why won't it go away? So, so, so let's start with your podcast, Teacher Saves World. The mission is to save the world one teenager at a time. How did the podcast get started? How were you able to do 70 episodes in a single year and still teach remotely, still be parents, still remain sane? Well, you know, uh, Lori had Lori is the the podcast junkie in the couple here. She's been she's been she was on the forefront of this whole you know genre, this medium, and she'd been listening for a long time. And she'd been really kind of Matt, we got to we got to do a podcast, Matt, we got to do a podcast. And I'd always been really reluctant. And then uh, as things started to shut down. And our schedule really opened up because as, as parents of two teens, our life is all about driving our kids all over, you know, practices and weekends at tournaments and, and productions and this, that, and the other, and, and all of that shut down. And it was just like, all right, I'm ready. Let's do this. And we went to guitar center, bought the gear. We bought the gear. I think the day before non-essential stores closed in California. And we had our evenings free and we just started doing it. So COVID was the magic ticket. It was, it was, it was to, to you. I think, you know, it really kind of filled a void, Chris, and you know, this as an educator, um, you know, teaching remotely, we still make the connections, but not really. I don't know. And it kind of yanks, you know, that teacher is such an identity for me. I've always been very proud to tell people when they ask what I do and I say, I'm a teacher, I say that with such pride and I realized that it was a huge part of my identity and it, it felt like it was slipping away. And this podcast allowed us to keep our head in the game, like of education and parenting in a very different way and keep us kind of sharp and also 
let us shed some tears. You know, you joke about fetal position. I had a few fetal position days myself um, in this in this pandemic. But the podcast was almost like a saving grace for us for um, strengthening our connection through the troubles we had with our, our you know, parenting our teenagers. Um, that's one thing we learned early on is we needed to be a united front. And when we told the kids, hey, we're recording, they would tease us sometimes like, what, record, you know, they would kind of, whatever. But, you know, we'd shut the door and mom and dad are a united front and mom and dad have interests maybe outside of you guys. So get over yourselves. So it was kind of like a, I don't know, it worked on so many levels for us personally and, and professionally, I guess, in a way, but it really was more personal pursuit. Yeah. And Chris, like we were talking before we came on and how your wife nudged you and you needed that creative outlet. It was the same for us. And we'd always had those things in our life. We, we had started a jumpy house business when we lived in Hawaii. I <laughs> was a, a founding member of member of the elephant off main theater company in Los Angeles. That was a project we, we I had worked on. Um, I was in a band for a while and I had no business being in a band. I had no musical sense whatsoever, but I, I did that for a while. Um, we just need those creative outlets, right? Those projects, those side things that are going on to kind of keep us juiced and, and um, thinking and processing what's going on in the world. And, and we kind of didn't have that going on. And so this was kind of our, a new project for us. I, I have a great idea. How about a jumpy house podcast? <laughs> There we go. Oh, we, we could corner the market right now. Uh, it is ours. Uh, Talk about a niche <laughs> with indie rock playing in the background. There we go. Great. That would be fantastic. Well, as you guys know, the, the focus of this show, Lit Matters, it's a podcast about books and, and books that transform our lives, books that you know really matter. And, and I've spent my entire career really trying to say, you know, this book really it changed who I am. And, and, and I'll simply say, I knew immediately I needed to have a, a couple of high school English teachers on here because that's where my life was transformed. I had a, I had a 10th grade English teacher, Mrs. Fagan. And I, and I grew up in a, in a very conservative, you know, rural South school, and we weren't allowed to really engage and question ideas and Mrs. Fagan would pass me books quietly. I remember her saying the first time, Chris, st just stay for a moment. And she started to pass me books. And she would say, go home and read that and come back and we'll talk. And this changed the way I, I, I saw my world. Just an English teacher passing me things like Lord of the Flies that were just too controversial at that time. And, and, and I'm curious. I always want to know from my guest what are the books that corrupted you? What are the, how did you become a reader? Have you always been a reader? Have you always been lovers of stories? You know, I, I got to give it up to my first teacher, my mom, you know, um, I grew up on military bases because my dad was in the army. So we were often just plucked and moved my sister and I, and uh, my mom would always take us to the library and she had one rule. You can check out as many books as you can carry. And it was kind of like a game. And and I guess, you know, the bond between my mother and sister and I was really cemented in that library. And I was with a teetering pile of books and we'd go home and as we read them, they'd move into a different pile. And then when that pile was done, we'd get a new one. But, uh, but my, my English teacher, my Miss Fagan, would be uh, Mrs. Reyes from eighth grade. And she was a middle school English teacher. She'd go to England every summer and she taught Shakespeare to eighth graders. 
and not just an excerpt from Midsummer Night's Dream. She dug in, we did all of Macbeth and that was her, you know, cornerstone unit in eighth grade. And I just, the love she had for us and the passion she had for, for Shakespeare and England just transformed our little Hawaii, you know, Hawaii is not known for its public education system. It's uh, it's among the, the lowest, I think, uh, along the Appalachian, you know, mountains as far as test scores and whatnot. But she she brought it to life and, and we felt like intellectuals. And she, we weren't, but we felt like it. And it, it started me on a journey, uh, just loving reading. The escape of it, the challenge of it. And even when I didn't quite understand what I was reading, I stuck with it. And, um, and I give that to Ms. Reyes. It's so amazing. We can still recall those teachers' names, you know, years oh. later that, that impacted us that way. And, you know, just the, the, the power of, of, of handing a child a book. Uh, Matt, what about you? Have you, have you always been a reader or, you, or, you know, did you have a, a career in jumpy houses that you were planning? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I wasn't so much a reader growing up. I, I wasn't an anti-reader, but I, I wasn't a reader of books. I'll say that. And uh, I wasn't, uh, I was, I think it was fairly typical, you know, teenage boy growing up loving sports, but I had a subscription to uh, Sports Illustrated and that was a weekly publication. And I would read that thing cover to cover as a kid because the, the interest was there. The topics were things that I really enjoyed uh, reading about. And, uh, and then as I moved into college, so I didn't necessarily, I, I, I read the books that I was supposed to read when I was in high school. Uh, you know, I don't know what I read, a separate piece and mm-hmm. I don't know, Sun Also Right, I, you know, the, the usuals. And, but once I got into college and I stopped playing sports because I was an athlete for a while and not that being an athlete and reading are like exclusive of each other, just that community isn't necessarily about, about books. But once I stopped playing sports and I became a theater major and I moved into the world of the arts and I started identifying with a different group and that was a literature based group. And it was poetry. And I started reading, you know, Charles Bukowski. And then I, uh, I started working at a restaurant with a, a good friend of mine, Dennis. And he was, he was a musician and an artist. And we, we took a road trip to San Francisco and we went to City Lights Bookstore. And, you know, I, I'm reading Jack Kerouac and Ellen Ginsberg. And, uh, and I, that just, I, I started reading as a way of identifying and becoming a part of a group of readers and artists and poets. And I remember reading um, Dave Eggers, uh, A Heartbreaking Work of Staggering Genius uh, and McSweeney's and really becoming a part of a community. So for me, literature was, was about identifying with a group and being a part of a community of, of artists and and thinkers and debaters and creators and um that's was kind of my journey into into reading and into literature well um rest in peace lawrence fairlinghetti just passed away recently recently city lights uh 
owner, um, publisher extraordinaire. We wouldn't have so many that great poetry and quite the poet himself. Uh, and you mentioned Ginsburg. I was fortunate to see Ginsburg read uh, when I was living in Chicago the last year of his life. And it was a little bookstore and there were probably 10 people there. Wow. And I could not yes. get over like, oh. this is Allen Ginsburg. Why isn't this place packed? <laughs> And he was mean and he was surly. He could not, he could, could care less who was sitting there, <laughs> but it was Allen Ginsberg. And it was one of those moments of my life that I was in awe. Like this is, mm. this is how sitting in front of me, although clothed <laughs> uh, at the time, <laughs> it was thrilling. Wow. Uh, you know, some of my favorite episodes that you guys do on teacher saves world is when you make a list and I must admit I, I've, I, I, one of the first things I did was go back through all your episodes and find those lists. You did the favorite movies about high school and, and Lori just a little too much. John Hughes there. You are a fan. <laughs> and, and I must admit, I hate to say it. I agree with Matt. I think Rushmore is perhaps my favorite high school film. I love Rushmore. Absolutely love Rushmore. And then your songs of 2020. Uh, I think I ended up just downloading almost all of them. Uh, had so much fun with that. So let's, let's play a little game here. Let's, let's compile a list. You're high school English teachers. You teach books all the time to students that may or may not love to read, and you're trying to encourage them. What are the five books that you try to put in the hands of your students? And secondarily, what is the one book you think, oh, I, I don't want to hand them this. They're going to hate reading as a result <laughs> so Five in one, each of you, take it away. All right, so we're just listing. Yeah, you start. All right. My five that I don't want a kid to leave high school without reading. Um, number one, Hamlet. I want them leaving knowing Hamlet. I know it's long and English teachers are like, I don't want to teach that long old play, but to me it is essential. Um, Bluest Eye by Toni Morrison. Um, I was accused of teaching pornography from a parent at a private school when I taught it to my 10th grade honors class. My principal said, I'm going to sit with you for a week, Lori, in that class and watch discussion. And uh, my principal stood up for me at the end of that week and said, you will continue to teach that book. And uh, Toni Morrison, I just, I can't say enough about. She brings the beauty out of the ugly, so poetically. Um, Catcher in the Rye. I love Holden Caulfield. Um, I, if you can, some of those angsty boys that don't want to touch anything um catcher can catch them and i just love the voice that salinger created there the stranger by camus um i love teaching it one it's skinny so when the kids pick it up they're like it's so tiny i said yeah you know in a big font and um we focus on colors and sun and the imagery and and i can catch kids with that book the stranger and finally they cannot leave without mary shelley's frankenstein under their belt I, I just, the power of that book, um, and, and a lot of, when I listed my five, I said, wow, there's a lot of, you know, isolation here. It's the outsider, right, with, with all of these, because I feel like in high school, most of us feel that way. Most of the kids feel that way, and I don't care if you're the quarterback of the football team or, um, you know, the stoner in the corner. They're searching. They're searching for who they are, and they feel like outsiders much of the time, and these books seem to resonate with them. Um, the one book I do not want to teach, and Chris Evans is going to be so mad at me, Brit Lit. 
please don't make me teach Pride and Prejudice or any Jane Austen to high school boys. I have tried. <laughs> I have tried to sell them on the beauty of the prose, on the wit. And I, either I'm just a big old failure, but I do not want to teach any um, of the British gentry family to teenage boys. No, Laurie, we are in complete agreement. First, I would say I would love, would your students mind if a, if a 51 year old English teacher who loves cookies way too much sits in the back of your room <laughs> because your list was my list yeah. and I agree entirely with you. I stop at Milton. So I, for British literature, I stop about 1688, not interested in any of the, you know, I remember we, we took a group of students over to England and they were standing in front of Jane Austen's, you know, house and they were just freaking out. And I'm like, no, I don't, I just don't <laughs> I don't get it. So, so no, I am on board. And I think Frankenstein is my favorite all-time novel. I have been known to just cynically say to students, she was 21 years old when she wrote that. You can go write a four-page paper, no problem. Get it for yourself. I love it. Wow. Matt, so let's hear yours. I, I'm I'm actually going to disappoint here. And because I, uh, as much as I love lists, I, I purposely didn't make one because I, I, uh, our daughter is 14 years old and she, uh, devours books and she has a shelf full of books that she is intending to get to. <laughs> and I didn't suggest a single one of those books. It was people on TikTok <laughs> that suggested that. And I was reading recently in the New York Times how book sales are through the roof from TikTok. And I don't understand. I'm not on social media. I am I'm pretty uh, naive to the world of social media and, and TikTok in particular. But she is uh, so jazzed to buy certain books because of the suggestions that she sees on TikTok from certain people. And I, I don't know if there's different people. She 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 says a lot of these people are uh, fantasy, um, you know, suggestions, mm -hmm. uh, historical fiction as well. Um, so you know, I think about myself as a reader, and I you know maybe I didn't want to make a list because I didn't have that same experience. I didn't have a teacher that was putting those books in my hands. Um, my discovery was was more personal. Mine was. I was selecting books that I wanted to, and it helped me identify with certain groups and become a part of a community. And I see that happening with my daughter in TikTok. And she identifies with these people on TikTok and, and the books that they suggest, and she identifies with them. And then we, we go you know, on Amazon or to Barnes and Noble, and she has her books that she wants to read. And then you know, we were on a road trip uh, just yesterday, we spent about five hours in the car and the bulk of that time, she was reading books that we had just picked up. And so, you know, I really like, I got to give it up. You know, uh, adults, I don't think are as influential as we used to be. Uh, you know, I come, I'm a huge music lover and it pains me if I'm, I have music playing in my classroom and it's, the Beatles and my students are have no idea who it is. 
And it's like, I don't I wasn't alive back then. I was like, ah, you know, like that's the response, right? I was like, yeah, I wasn't alive, you know, when Beethoven was composing, <laughs> but I'm still familiar with some of his work. Uh, you know, we grew up, Chris, in an era where adults were were influencers. They they were our influencers. Mm -hmm. They put things in our hands. Um, I started listening to, you know, music through my dad's record collection or what, you know, Richard Blade was playing on K-Rock uh, in, in Southern California. And, and they influenced me. And, uh, but now kids, they stream everything, right? They go on YouTube and they have instant access to music and, and videos. And, and so, I don't know. I think I want, I, I, I'm, I'm becoming okay with that. Uh, that I, I want to step back and as long as they can find the group that I, they identify with and, and be influenced to read, um, that I'm good with that. So, so Lori, there's always that student in, in an English class when you give them a task to write that they do not write anywhere around your prompt, but still they get the A. That's what Matt just did right there. I gave him a specific task. He crushed it. He knocked it out of the park by Rebel. not answering the question. But I, I love it. End. I love it. Yes. He goes right back to the end of the stranger, right? Uh, <laughs> side note here uh, for both of you guys. Richard Blade is back on the radio. And, and so we hear him on local radio. And it is the coolest thing to hear Richard Blade uh, every day here at noon go back and do all the old 80s. Oh, and it's it's like being- Oh, we'll have to stream that. You'll have to give us the link, Chris. I, I will. It's absolutely yeah. fantastic. <laughs> so, so guys, uh, I brought you here to talk about specific books. And my opening question was, how are we going to link together you know, a first century Roman emperor with a, a USC professor of education? So- I didn't ask this question when we talked before. Do we want to tackle one book at a time or do you guys want to sort of flip flop back and forth? They actually work really well together. So I'll leave it up to you. I don't care. Yeah. Well, maybe we could start. One of us starts and we'll see okay. if the flip flop there we go. happens. We'll let it flow. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm a history minor. So I sort of go chronologically. So Matt, <laughs> let's, let's start with you. We're going several thousand years back. You you chose uh, Marcus Aurelius's Meditations. Uh, yes. I know title debatable there, right? Uh, right. It sort of changes. So can you just tell us very quickly, at least you need to know for a reader who would be daunted or terrified to pick up a book that's several thousand years old uh what's the least we need to know about uh marcus aurelius well yeah i came to it by just i was reading some other books about stoicism and i decided i needed to read you know this book that they are referencing so so much and i was man i was so moved by this book and it is it's a diary of a man trying to live his best life. This man happens to be the most powerful man in the world at the time. He wrote it during a really troubling time in his life. There was death all around him. There was warring, you know, tribes trying to, um, uh, you know, destroy his empire. And it's just him and a journal. And it inspired me to do the work, you know, and maybe it's, you know, sometimes, the influence a book has is when you encounter a book. And so I encountered this in lockdown mm -hmm. with two teenagers. I was struggling. They were struggling. We were struggling. 
and to read about a man who, how he dealt with his struggle and how he just did the work every day to remind himself. And, you know, the, the quote that really hit me in this book, it's a very simple quote. It says, stop talking about what the good man is like and just be one. And it was so simple. And it was like, stop talking about it. Stop philosophizing, stop ramp, just go do the work necessary. And, and that's what meditations is. Meditations is a guy sitting down every day to remind himself, hey, you're going to deal with a lot of crap today. You're going to deal with a bunch of people that are out to destroy you. But you have values, you have virtues. Go live your virtues today. Um, do not allow them to pull you down into this, that, and the other. And, and go live a life that you can be proud of. And it, it, I, I changed my life after I read this book. I started writing my own meditations. I started developing a practice every day of getting up in the morning and setting my intentions with pen and paper and then reflecting on that in the evening. And it has made all the difference for me personally, for my health, for my relationship with my children, for me as a, as a teacher. And I've been doing the, like, Chris, I'm like you, I'm, I'm going to be 52 years old this year. I've been teaching for over two decades. You would think I don't need to change. Uh, I don't need to grow. Um, but if there's one thing I learned from my father is that growth never ends. Um, life is about continual growth. And so that's what this book meant to me. It was a reminder to keep growing, to keep living your values, to keep reflecting. And um, it, it changed my life. You know, I, I hate to say it. I, I saw Laurie rolling her eyes when you said you didn't need to change. No, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. She was not. She was not. Uh, if, 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 so I was like. Really? Did it, I? It, it, it's a podcast. Our, our, our <laughs> listeners did not see that. So terribly ill, Ill time. I do, do apologize. Um, I'm curious, Matt, have you passed some of this along to your students? Because again, they're at that point in their life. I mean, this idea of living your best life of being that, you know, best person you can be. Yeah. How, how have your students reacted to this? Well, uh, you know, I've tried to subtly work some of these principles into my class and in high school high school is this tremendous period you know and I just to really hit home I want you know when I say this is what high school is I want you to imagine uh you know like a like an eighth grader and and what it means to be an eighth grader all the immature just wild energy of an eighth grader and then think of like a uh an 18 year old uh, in boot camp right? Heading off into the army or, or moving into their college dorm and all that happens in college. And what lies in between those two people is high school. And so what happens in high school is, is tremendous. And, and it's about taking ownership and discovering who you are and identifying your values and, and identifying your role models and uh, those people that you want to be a little bit more like and the lift the life that you want to live and so i've i try to do some of that in my class uh you know with a with a, a notebook and journal process where we start every class and we've we've made some lists we've identified some 
inspiring quotes uh, that provide wisdom that you know matter to us. We've identified role models. Um, we we've identified habits that we want to good habits that we want to grow in our life and bad habits that we would like to remove. And then how do we systematically go through and, and do the work to make that happen on a weekly basis? Uh, and hopefully some of that hits home about, you know, to become a mature young person is to take responsibility. And to take responsibility, we got to know what is it? What is what is it that my I want my life to be? Um, what kind of person do I want to become? What do I want my life to stand for? Um, what principles and virtues matter to me? And is that obvious to people that observe my life? Am I living my virtues? Uh, and that takes reflection. And that's not an easy thing for a young person to do is to reflect. And so um, we try to do a little journaling in class and reflecting on, um, you know, the, the day or the week uh, that we just passed through. And then how do we want to go out and, and live the week ahead? Uh, you know, and working with teenagers, it sinks in with some and others it doesn't, but I think it'll hit them maybe five years from now. Like, Oh, I remember that, mm -hmm. you know, it'll hit them when they're ready. So, so that sort of takes us back to, to a, a book that Lori mentioned earlier, which was, you know, this above all to thine own self be true, right? This idea of how you understand yourself and how you value yourself and what you want to be and the complications of that. By the way, I, I, I bring everything back to Hamlet. It's just what I do. It's this, yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> this this connection I make to, to everything. So, so Lori, Lori, tell us about the book you chose today. So I chose the book Love by Leo Biscaglia and, um, the origin of it is, you know, my mom, I spoke about my mom taking us to the library. My mom is an avid reader and there were books all over the house and she had a lot of self-help books, right? When I was in high school. So a lot of improvement books. Um, my dad had left the family when I was a sophomore and my mom became a single mom with my sister and I. So it was the three of us and she had a lot of self-help books around and you know, I was kind of into horror at that point, you know, like Books of Blood and Stephen King. I don't know. You know, I went through my little horror phase, but I picked up this book called Love by Leo Biscaglia that my mom had read. And um, just the background on it, he taught at USC and he taught a, a course called Love 1A. And he was kind of known as Dr. Hug. Um, he hugged every one of his students as they walked through the door. And um, God, that hit me. And as I, I read his book, um, I want to just read an excerpt to start it, talking about this class he developed. He says, I call the class Love Class. It was to be dedicated to personal growth. I wanted the class to be a unique experience in learning. I wanted to have a definite yet loose framework. I knew beforehand I could not teach in the formal sense such a class. It'd be presumptuous. I too was limited in my knowledge and experience of the subject. I was as actively engaged as any of my students in discovering what the real meanings of the word were. I would only be able to act as a facilitator to the students as we guided each other to an understanding of the delicate phenomenon of human love. I didn't realize when I read this book at 15 that this was my future career that this is my, my educational philosophy as a high school teacher. Um, not only do I hug every one of my students as they walk through the door, you know, this pandemic rocked me because uh, 
I'm very analog. We would even check our phones in at the back of class in a, in a Walmart shoe rack. We were non-digital at all in my class. It was all about eye contact and touch and communication. And Dr. Biscaglia was all about that. And I don't know if it hit me because, you know, my parents divorced and I didn't have a father figure in my life any longer. And he's a big Italian man, just full of love, full of bravado, full of um, student centered teaching. And I did not want to be a teacher, Chris, in high school at all. I, I wanted to move to Hollywood and be an actress. Um, I was theater and that's what I loved. The fact that I came back to teaching and um and it really is, I, I realize my calling, when I, when I don't have it, I don't feel completely whole. I love my roles as wife and mother and sister and daughter and friend, but teacher is a big, big part of my identity. And uh, even at the end of summer, I look forward to going back because it's, it's a part of me and I miss it. And I guess when I don't, that'll be the year I have to retire, right? But um it's a funny book to have as my favorite book, but um, it really is. And it's kind of my guidebook for life and my guidebook for education. Last semester in the pandemic, I told the English department at one of our meetings that I, I was not going to fail anybody. And um, that did not go over well. And, uh, and I had some kids, you know, with 10%, 11%. And I said, I, I'm going to give them a D minus, which is still a really crappy grade, you know, um, <laughs> come on. Um, and, you know, I, I got hit with a lot of, um, I don't know, that I'm too easy or, I, but I just felt like the one thing we, we really realized is, is we were missing love in this pandemic because, uh, you know, a lot of our kids come from homes that uh, are poverty stricken and love and relationships are put on the back burner for survival. And when they came to school, they got it. They got it from us and their fellow classmates. And actually, sorry, <laughs> it makes me a little emotional because of, it was such a tough year. And some of our kids were fine. You know, their parents were home, they were teaching, they were going on road trips, but others were not. They were stuck in a really, really bad place. And um, it, it just cemented even more so that the live instruction, teachers matter, school matters, um, their relationships among each other matters, and we need to facilitate that. And our job's very important. And um, this book um, always sits on my book stand. It's weathered and yellowed and marked up, but uh, whenever I need a, a reboot, I'm frustrated about testing or the other bureaucracies we go through. I go back to the foundation of teaching and it's love as corny as it sounds. That's it. But I, I agree entirely. And, and, and so Lori, again, we've seen the same thing at the college level as well, too. Just, just young people whose lives have been crushed by this. They're working three jobs, their parents, they're, they're living out of their cars. They're, you know, just, just to get young people food, you know, and, and you're right. We hope to pass along these books. We hope to pass along these ideas. We hope to transform, you know, who they are and who they want to be and, and just be a little part of that. And, and I actually, I love the idea that you, you mentioned in terms of, of, of grades as well, too, because if I go back to all those teachers who mattered in my life, I can't tell you the grade I got in fifth grade, but I know the teacher that gave me Lord of the Rings 
and inspired me to just take me away to a different world. Um, and when I always hear people today ridicule and, and, and criticize the profession we have, I mean, I know how hard we've all worked because it's destroying us to see how our students are struggling and, and that, that disconnect that's there. Um, and, and, and teaching matters, uh, you know, being a better person matters, right? The, these two books sound so brilliant and I hope everyone will go read them because they, they do, they struck me. I wore a shirt today that says live simply just for this moment. Um, why do these two books matter? And it may also be what you guys are saying too, which when you first read it, it may not resonate with you at 15 the way it will when you're 40. When I was listening to, to Lori, I hadn't really, we hadn't, we don't, just like our podcast, we don't talk a lot about the things before we just kind of let it happen. And so today we didn't really talk much about, I knew the, the book she'd picked, but I didn't know her you know, reasons and whatnot. But I find it interesting. We both pick books that are books that we return to on a regular basis, uh, books that remind us because, you know, and, and Marcus did this in his book. It's, it gets criticized for being fairly repetitive. He keeps coming back and saying the same things over and over and over again. But that's a lot of what we need in life to stay, you know, on the path that we want to be on is we need to be reminded of it. And so whenever things get a little cloudy, um, these books that we can return to and read again and again and again, and they clear the clouds away and they bring the sun back in and remind us of and everything that, that matters to us in, in our life. Uh, the book, the translation of meditations that I read is the most recent one by Gregory Hayes. And uh, he has this great introduction. And in the very front of it, he's talking about uh, Marcus Aurelius. He says he never thought of himself as a philosopher. He would have claimed to be at best a diligent student and a very imperfect practitioner of a philosophy developed by others. And I just thought what a great encapsulation of, of all of us um, to recognize that we are all imperfect practitioners of life. <laughs> and we need to be reminded on a regular basis. And so those are the books that we pick. We pick books that sort of remind us of, um, you know, to, to live our values and who we are and, and, and how imperfect we really are. <laughs> I think also being a parent of teenagers and a teacher reminds us of the same thing too, Matt, certainly. Oh, yeah. and, and it's good. It's good to, to be brought back to that. As I mentioned, uh, my, my 20-year-old is an, is an English major, and the, the conversations we have now makes me reassess all that I thought I knew as she approaches it from, from an entirely different perspective. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Well, so before we wrap this show up and there's so much more that we could say uh i'm gonna have to have you guys on for a, a second episode <laughs> you know or, or come on your show because yeah, i think totally. I, i've learned i learned so much about uh teaching and being a parent from listening to your show and you, you guys have helped me through this uh, you know even from afar I, I hope you know that we'll have to do a crossover like when the firefighters go on to the police show and then the policemen <laughs> show up on the firefighter show we're gonna do like one of those like a little crossover 
episode. I'll, I'll be Adam 12. You can be Chicago. Hope there we go. Not, you know, so. <laughs> I, I went really old there. Some of our listeners are like, Adam 12. Don't get that. But I had a no lunchbox. Idea. I had a lunchbox with a kid's head stuck through a fence with, I think, Adam 12 on it when I was a, when I was a child. I, I know you guys have a, have a theater background, and I always like to surprise my guests with a few questions. I'm curious if you guys could do a play, the two of you starring roles, Matt and Laura Jones, what roles would you pick? What, 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 what play are we looking at? I miss by, I miss theater so much. I've oh missed gosh. watching live theater and live music so much. So guys, you, you get these plum roles. What are we playing here? What's on oh, stage? What are we watching? I think um, for me, uh, Willie Loman, Death of a Salesman. Oh, that'd be good. Yeah. Just, I, you know, like things make sense to you as you grow older. Right? Like I remember when, um, when I finally understood uh, Once in a Lifetime by the Talking Heads. You know, like it's a song that I loved as a kid and it just, I loved it musically. But lyrically, it took me a while to understand. And I think as much as I loved uh, Death of a Salesman and Willie Loman as a, as a student, uh, I think now as a 52-year-old man moving into you know, this part of my life, that would be a really, really fun role to take on. I know mine immediately, and it's going to be so against type. Get ready. Lady Macbeth. <laughs> I thought she was so fierce in eighth grade. And I always thought if you could have one role and be so far from who I am, it would be that woman. Mm -hmm. And I would eat that up. I will show my students the Japanese Kurosawa film, Throne of Blood. And when the actress who's playing the sort of variant of Lady Macbeth sort of comes in through the shadows and emerges through this I st it still scares me today. It's it's one of the most <laughs> just, <laughs> chills go down my brain. I'm like ah, but, but, but oh, yeah, what a wonderful, fantastic role. Well, you know, uh, you guys are in charge of your English department up there in, in in your high school. Maybe we can make this happen. You guys on stage, you know, cast your <laughs> students, and I will drive up and 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 definitely try to check that off. That would be fantastic. Chris. <laughs> <laughs> so so before we we, we end today I'm, I'm curious what's what's upcoming for you guys with teacher saves world uh you know we've almost made it through remote teaching we're hopefully starting to to get some of this under control and people are getting vaccinated and we can resume some lives and hopefully restore who we are and who we want to be what's up next for you guys for for teacher saves world and, and beyond well you know uh we're coming up on on a year we uh, April 8th was our uh, first episode dropped of uh, in 2020. So we're coming up on a year of that. And we're kind of like a band early on that's trying to find their sound, right? You kind of go this way and that. And, and then maybe about two or three albums in, you finally, you get, you hit your groove, right? And so I think our, our Joshua tree is on the horizon. Uh, <laughs> but I do know this, I, we are not a how-to podcast. I think the world has, like, we've become a how-to world. Uh, everything I see on YouTube is how to do this and how to do that. Uh, when the pandemic hit, 
our my email inbox, both of ours were flooded with how to work this program, how to you know include this uh, software into your remote learning. And that's not what interests us. And I think that's also the source of some of our, our ills and things that are happening is we were focusing too much on the how-to and we are all about the why. We love talking about why. Why are we teachers? Why do we do this? Why do we show up every day? And so that's a little messier. It's not, uh, you know, it's it's not the bulleted list of a how-to show that I know is neatly packaged and, all, and, and it's very popular. But we love to talk about why. And, and so whatever the future holds for us, it's going to be there. Uh, it's just talking to parents and teachers that work with teenagers and making sure that we have a why. It was Nietzsche who said, um, any man who has a why for a living can bear any how. And uh, I think it's important that we keep coming back to why. Yeah, that was beautifully said, honey. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is where the producer steps in and cuts the show right there and leaves it with that really poignant moment as well, too. Uh, rather than the terrible joke, I'll say here of you know, you two when they did Boy and War, those are some great albums. So uh, fantastic. If, if, if this was your early pre-Joshua tree, you guys are doing a heck of a job with Teacher Saves World. So I'm looking forward to see where you take that. Just please do not go pop or zuropa and we're all all good <laughs> there i didn't expect a u2 conversation today <laughs> wow so 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 Lori, matt thank you so very much for joining us today if you haven't subscribed to their podcast teacher saves world you must do so uh if you were a parent of a teenager if you were trying to to to, to cope with all that we are going through. If you're trying to figure out what's going on with the teaching profession, what's going on with parenting, all of these things, it, it's a wonderful show. And I've had so much fun and I've learned so much from listening to it. Um, and, you know, while you're at it, uh, press the subscribe button to the Lit Matters podcast as well, too. I'm trying to, to make this work. And we have episodes on Moby Dick and stars in my pocket, like grains of sand that are up. And we have a future episode on Hamlet coming up there for us, uh, Laurie, as well, too. I'm excited about that. And uh, I guess I'll leave us with a, a quote from one of my favorite films, Max, from, from what Rushmore says, I guess you've just got to find something you love and do it, and then you do it for the rest of your life. So, Laurie, Matt, thank you so very much. Thank you, Chris. This Pleasure was awesome, Chris. You're the best. Thank you for listening to Lit Matters. The show is written by Chris Evans and produced by Steve Baldwin. Our opening theme is courtesy of the band Soup and today's special closing theme from the amazing U2. Find them both on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever great music is played. Music